The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Kia ora koutou katoa. Welcome to Business is Boring. Sometimes starting out with a business model that doesn't work can be just what's needed to get on the path to success. Almighty Drinks began with a fresh juice store in Wellington that didn't have the scale or margins to succeed. And by then designing a business that could, it is now in over a thousand stores and raising to grow further. You might have tried their great fancy turmeric, carrot and orange juice or their recently launched caffeinated sparkling waters that without the sugar and the kind of coffee load are seriously effective. We love them at the brand studio I work at. We're almost an unofficial promo team serving them with every meeting. So it is a big pleasure to get to talk today to founder CEO Ben Lennart about the journey to here and their plans to grow. Tenakwe, thanks for joining us, Ben. Kia ora, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, so take us back to the beginning there, because you you kind of have, have, have had a, a number of jobs in Hospo. That kind of um, juice store came quite late in the piece, really, didn't it? As you started a cafe, was that Milk Crate? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I started Milk Crate in 2005. Uh, quite young, pretty fresh, 22 I was. Um and yeah, I'd worked in hospo and in food and retail in Wellington for a number of years before that. And, uh, um, you know, worked at Moore Wilson's, worked first day at Thornton New World, which was a real big moment on my CV, and worked at Placemakers and was, um, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of learnt about hospo working in a bunch of different places. And I actually lived in Melbourne for a little bit, worked as a, a rubbish truck runner and a labourer. Uh, and then came back to Wellington and just really wanted to put a coffee shop um, on Gusney Street, which was a very different place back then. But I sort of thought that it was going to develop into a great sort of little little area. And, and it did happen ultimately, but it did take a lot longer than what I, I thought it would. And that, that's a really legendary cafe. And there was that wonderful Precinct 35 store there. So lots of people will know it. What kind of things did you take from running a cafe to help you with business? As there's so many cool things in hospitality, eh, in the way that you've got to, um, you, you know, do do the marketing, create a great customer experience, um, you, you, yeah, like have, have kind of a brand and an identity, but you're doing it all on like the smell of an oily rag. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of things. I mean, building community and building an audience is, is super important. I think you know for for out for us at Almighty, that's been super important. And Milk Crate was a great learning learning place for that. Um, and it's a, it is a lot easier when you when you're talking to people all day. You might serve two to three hundred customers a day, and you you're building rapport with them. Um, and that was a great learning moment from from Milk Crate. There are probably a few other things that you learn from hospitality that are 
quite useful, you know, like working at quite a pace, um, being quite efficient with your time. Like in, you, you see anyone working in a hospital, they're probably moving, like they're moving one part of their body kind of the whole time. They're, they're always doing something useful with their time and it's very, uh, very efficient and you're on the go the whole time. And that's kind of translated quite well to working. It's probably um, not super healthy sometimes. But uh, you also learn to problem solve really quickly in hospital. You you know, you get all thrown all kind of strange things um, from plumbing issues to, you know, customer kind of real quirky challenges that you get from from customers. Um, but on the same same side of that, you, you learn how to build rapport with all sorts of different people and that I think is really powerful in, in business. Um, no matter what industry you're in, that's it's a great skill to learn. What did you learn from that first juice store that you opened up that was beautiful and had a lovely product, right, but just didn't have the kind of set up to, to make it worth all the time? And that's something that some people kind of don't learn fast enough and stay hanging on to things that are low margin, low scale, high pain. <laughs> totally. Um yeah, that, that business was, we, we loved it. We, we created a great product. We really enjoyed it. It was it was so good, the product. But it was sort of $7 or $8 for a bottle of juice. It lasted three days in the in the chiller, and it had really short shelf life, so it was super challenging. But um, what we did learn was flavour development and how, that, how important that is in product development and really nailing, nailing that as best as possible. You know, health is super important, but, not always at the expense of flavour. So we had to create everything, you know, we had to create things that tasted great, that were well-balanced, that really spoke to a bunch of, uh, you know, different sensory aspects. So it needed to, you know, we learnt how important smell, taste and visuals really are across product development. And we also learned that from, I suppose, real-time feedback. When you've got a little shop and you're serving customers sort of face-to-face, with, we were making all sorts of different juices every day, and you get immediate feedback. It was actually really powerful. And, you know, those things translated into Almighty really well, like nailing flavour, nailing balanced product, and getting great feedback as often as possible was super useful. What was it like to, you know... Because it's such a thing. And like I've been here with, um, you know, fashion stores that I've been involved in opening. When you realise that you've put all this effort and love into opening a store and you've done the fit out and, you you, you know, you've had the opening party and you've told all your friends and then you realise, I don't think that this location and these margins are going to work and we have to change something. You know, what's that process like as an owner? Because so much of you know, identity and, 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 and stuff goes into setting up these things. But, you know, making that change and then designing a better business has worked out way better. But how did it feel making that change? Yeah, it was it was probably more an evolution. Like we were just we're very, I'm a quite an optimistic person and always looking at the, the next, you know, how do we make this better? How do we make this better? And I think what we, we created Almighty off the back of that little juice shop, but we continued the juice shop. And then it was probably over time that we sort of absorbed it into the cafe and then it slowly kind of became less important to the to the group. But it, you know, it's not it's not an easy process, right? To to have to close something that you've put so much work into and you that you, you know, genuinely love. But on the other hand, 
you know, we were creating something even better and that and it wasn't too bad. There's that, you know, that idea of Steve Jobs, how you know, he, he had to kill the iPod. Right? That was a super successful product. And, you know, but out of that, he killed it because he had the iPhone. And, you know, it's it's probably just a part of evolution and growth. I think that sometimes you have to get rid of something to, to create something better. And what kind of things did you design into Almighty to allow it to kind of grow and scale? We took a different approach to, to the product development. So basically we, we were so focused on, you know, using fresh produce, the best produce we could make, and literally squashing it and putting it in a bottle. Um, and then we took an approach of saying, how can we do something that actually we can send to Australia and how can we send it to cafes across New Zealand? So we, we looked at using different ingredients and we used organic um, juice from Concentrate, which which made a massive difference. And it meant that we could send product around the, the country and outside the country for, you know, with 12 months sh- shelf life, didn't need chilled distribution, was just a whole world away from what we'd been doing. What was the mission you set out to do with Almighty? Um, we've got this line, conscious, clean, delicious drinks made by nature for those with a thirst for life, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it sort of sums up really what we're trying to do and it, and it's still really relevant to what we're doing today. And yeah, it's just creating great products that people love that are made properly and um, for people that love getting out and making the best of their life. How did you go about getting that spirit into the brand? Because it's really apparent to me that that kind of uh, active and vibrant and kind of positive spirit is all through it, right? But, you know, that's not necessarily a given when you make a product. So, how, yeah, how did you go about capturing that spirit and mission in your products? Yeah, well, I think it's happened over time. Like, I'm not a brand-building expert, but, um, you know, our experience at Almighty has it's been a you know, relatively long one. Not, it's probably short, but... Eight years feels like a reasonable time, um, and it's kind of evolved over time. And you know, we we've, we went through a rebranding process maybe in 2019 with Ryan Marks, and that was quite an amazing process to go through, and really elevated, you know, really focused and elevated what we were doing. But it, it's really telling stories of, of what's important to us as a team, and telling stories about, you know, our our audience and their stories and what's important to them. And it's just trying to be really authentic and telling it how it is. How did you go about getting the first believers and customers to get into cafes? As that's not easy, eh? There's such a limited range of drinks that cafes and hospo can sell. It's hard to get onto grocery shelves like it's a real zero-sum game there's only so much space and you've got to have the most compelling kind of story how, how did you how did you build that when we did our first production run at almighty we we did you know you do all this work in spreadsheets right to to kind of do this planning you know create these forecasts and there's often numbers and um these cells that you kind of they're just a number in a cell and when we did our first production run, we had like 65 pallets of product. And I'd been used to selling 50 or 100 bottles of juice a day. <clears throat> and when I, you know, 
I saw the product at the first moment that we had produced all this product and I was standing in the warehouse at the bottling plant and I just completely like was shitting myself. I couldn't believe how much product we'd made. I thought we'd blown out and made something, done something completely wrong and was just mortified how much stock we'd created and I just had to sell it. So I basically literally drove out of the bottling plant and had juice in the boat and just started selling it into cafes on my way home. Um, and just, you know, we just never stopped that really. We just had to keep going and you just have to do what you got to do. And so, you know, in, in cafes, et cetera, they, they mostly have a juice and a soda and a few other things. And, and juice is a pretty decent staple in a, on a menu. Um, so there's a big addressable audience there of cafes. When it came to selling into supermarkets, it was definitely a different story. Um, when we launched our flavoured sparkling water in 2019, I went to, you know, it took five or six goes to get into kind of each store. So Farrow Fresh, um, they've been a great supporter of Almighty. But, you know, at the start, they were, they were slightly sceptical of flavoured sparkling water and took about five or six goes to, to get it across the line. And yeah, it, was, it was super challenging, and that seemed to be a consistent theme across selling into supermarkets and New World Countdown. It's just this kind of never-ending challenge. But once you've got some data and some track record, it, gets a lot, it got a lot easier. But yeah, there's no doubt it was it was pretty tricky. But I, to the point, like the motivation was there. We just had to move it. We just had so much stock. What I thought was so much stock. Even now, I go into the warehouse and there's like four or five hundred pallets of stock. And I say to my operations person the other day, I was like, "Why have we got all the stock? This is outrageous." <laughs> but it's you know you're so used to you get desensitized to the numbers and the spreadsheets and the reality of it is uh, sometimes confronting. Yeah, that's so awesome. And yeah, let's let's quickly chat about that sparkling water as that's really changed the business, eh? And you were really early into that kind of um, uh, space in New Zealand. And just as things like, you know, LaCroix, which, you know, if anyone's ever been to a Whole Foods in the States, you walk past and there's just the most enormous pallets of this stuff. It's such an institution there. But it hadn't really been part of general kind of office life, the zero-calorie, lightly-flavoured, naturally-flavoured kind of um, beverage. What led you to kind of go deep on that? And, yeah, how did that change the business? Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. LaCroix, for me, was you know somewhat the inspiration, I suppose, or the reference point for us in New Zealand. I, I was in New York and... We, I could see LaCroix just being drunk everywhere. It was in like the corner convenience store. It was in the bougie restaurant in Williamsburg. And I was just blown away like this great product that was so light and, you know, relatively healthy, well, more healthy than a sugary soda. And it was just everywhere and so accessible and so so flexible as a product. And there was just didn't seem to exist in New Zealand or Australia at the time. And by the time we got... From that to getting the product to market, LaCroix had arrived in New Zealand and then one other player had had launched. And so, you know, um, we thought we were early, but we, we were not early enough, it turned out. And it took us three years to get into Countdown from, from when we launched. So, um, you know, we were early, but we weren't first. 
and it's all we had to earn our right to to get onto the shelves and supermarkets, which you know ultimately has been really good. And we'll be back shortly to talk building the brand, launching a first caffeinated sparkling water, and what's next for Almighty. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Welcome back to Business is Boring, where we're with Ben Lennart of Almighty. So, yeah, what does the business look like today? Uh, So we've got a really small team. We've got people in Auckland, Christchurch and Melbourne, total of seven of us at the moment. We're the second fastest growing beverage brand in New Zealand market at the moment, according to IRI or what's now Circano, I think, um, behind Musashi. And, um, you know, we've got really growing very fast at the moment, which is exciting. Um, we've got presence in Australia and Singapore. We've got around 1,500 accounts across those markets. Uh, we got B Corp certified last year, which is a very proud moment. And uh, it's been really great for us. We're raising capital at the moment uh, to fund our growth, mostly in Australia through Snowball Effect. Yeah, and Australia's starting to really turn on for us. Uh, we're just landing a few few deals across food service and hospitality, which uh, we've been working on for a long time, and then another big deal that we're cl- hopefully close to landing with a, a national distributor to, to get us into a bunch of independent retail across Australia. And we're just on that journey of you know continuing to build the brand, build, trying to build something that people love and yeah, it's been it's been a real journey. Hey, but Simon, do you reckon I could ask you a couple of questions? Yeah, sure, sure. Fire, fire, fire away. Little um, podcast takeover. You work for one of the hottest agencies in New Zealand, um, <laughs> previously unavailable, and and you do a bunch of other things. I'm not 100 percent sure what you actually do. What, what's your like? What your day job is? But maybe you could let us know what your day job is and what your view is on how to create an iconic brand. <laughs> well, um, my my day job is I'm a partner looking after the venture studio and startup brands for previously unavailable. So work with heaps of um, new things, generally things that kind of are hard to explain or a new idea to get in the world or uh, something that hasn't previously been available. Yeah, um, and that that that's heaps of fun. And what makes for a great brand? I think like there was this really there's a couple of things like a brand is an idea that becomes more true over time. And so all the best brands have like a really simple idea that they want to establish in the world. And then they do a lot of stuff to make that true. And it's the doing stuff that makes you a brand. Like you can't just put some 
words up. You need to kind of stand for something or be trying to do something and then do a lot of things to make that a thing. I think Karen Walker um, had a great line about brand being like coral, which I always come back to, which is every single little bit of coral by itself that builds up to make something beautiful. So it's thousands and thousands and thousands of little touch points and interactions and ways that people experience you. And the culmination of all those things adding up, that they may not be wildly beautiful individually, but together they end up making something really special. What a great analogy. Yeah, she's she's the best in the business. Hey, that's that's awesome. Thank you. And I guess the other question I had, like, you've done this podcast for a, a long time. And thank you, by the way, but for you know creating this amazing thing that's so New Zealand-centric and um, has given so many people and businesses a great platform to tell their stories. So thank you. Through that process, you've interviewed so many amazing people. And what do you think makes a great and successful New Zealand business? Is there like a common thread amongst all these people you've spoken to? <laughs> that is so nice of you. Um, yeah, like, and it's such a privilege to get to do it because every, you know, every week getting to talk to someone and he- hear stuff that's hopefully kind of evergreen, like what they care about and why they got into it and how they felt they made it go, um, is a real privilege. I guess the kind of, I'm really concerned about like survivor bias, which is something that, you know, can even make it harder for people getting started or entrepreneurs or people feeling they believe in themselves because we generally only talk to people who <laughs> you know done pretty well and want to tell their story and like the thing that people do say and 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 that I've observed is that kind of grit and perseverance you, you know you definitely need to have a good idea and you need to be solving a big problem and you need to build a culture where people who are really good will come and execute and operate and want to be part of it. And that's where kind of, you know, a, a brand idea or something can come in, like something that in the culture that gets together your customers and team members and partners to all want to help move you forward is is something really powerful. But then once you've got that, the thing that separates people, you know, from, because many people can have a good idea and many people can, in theory, build a nice culture. But the thing that seems to help people go all the way is just pure grit and perseverance and just not stopping. And that's a really hard thing to say because I'm sure there's lots of people who have been trying to make like fish ice cream or something and they don't stop and they end up bankrupting themselves and everything's a disaster because the idea wasn't good. But yeah, if you can get like the right kind of validation that it is a good idea, or you believe that things are going to change in the world enough that your idea is going to be the right thing, then it's just it's just bloody-mindedness, I think, is what really gets people to be successful. And that's not always good, eh? Because there's a thin line between Steve Jobs and Elizabeth Holmes. Totally, and there must be a reasonable amount of luck in there. And, you know, connecting with good people is pretty important, if you can. Yeah, absolutely. Like being a good person and, and you know, luck happens if you keep doing the right stuff often enough as well. Like, yeah, but yeah, just keeping keeping on going, <laughs> which isn't which isn't easy. Yeah, and I think like I'm, it's quite um, relevant for me right now. We're in the middle of raising capital and it's been pretty challenging, but um, that seems to be a, a real challenge in New Zealand as well. Like, uh the capital constraints for especially for small business 
And how important do you think that is? Yeah, huge. I reckon like the biggest problem that most New Zealand businesses have is that they are undercapitalised. And, you know, we don't have a culture here of investing in business. And there was something that I, I worked at Vend and when it sold um, for, you know, about $500 million, my son, who was like 12 at the time or something, was like, whoa, that's like 500 houses. And it was just the bleakest thing in the world that like we've got this culture that like celebrates houses when they're these unproductive assets and totally useless. And if you take that analogy further, like all of the investment in Vend, which was like 50 million or something over a bunch of years, and it created this massive exit and hundreds and hundreds of great jobs and all of this experience in the ecosystem and just so many beneficial things. And that's, you know, 50 houses in Swanson, you know, like it's a street, it's a street and like, you know what, it, it's it's so bleak that we have this massive culture around investing and caring about houses and not in business. So most people start without enough money, the banks won't give them enough money, They people aren't wealthy enough that their families give them enough money. And then everyone's always battling on the back foot because we don't have a big enough market to quickly get enough customers to scale fast, where, you know, if you're in the US or um Australia, you know, Melbourne is bigger than New Zealand. Sydney is the same size as New Zealand. You get some good purchase in one of those places and your customers can help you grow. But here it is, it is access to capital. It's real hard. But how, how are you going on that capital raise? Because you guys are doing great from, from what I see. And and the pickup that you've got in Australia is awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, it's we're getting there. It's been, it's been really challenging. I was hoping to get um, some Australian VC money or, some, you know, decent... Um, an investment office on board to help us grow in Australia. That's our, you know, our key growth market, and having people and networks and access to that um, through an investment in Almighty would have been great. And we we ha- actually have brought on some awesome Australians that have been very helpful. Um, but this round we're going a bit bigger, and so yeah, we're, we're working with um, Snowball Effect, and we've had heaps of interest. It's been yeah, awesome. We're really stoked, but um, yeah, we'll just see how we go. It's we're sort of midway through the the process. Actually, after this call, I've got quite a big investment call that um, hopefully I'll, I'll nail. But it, you know, I've um, I'm so lucky. I've got great investors on board so far. I've got a bunch of friends and family that you know make sure I definitely need to make this work. Um, but also, the, you know, some other great people that. To your point earlier, I'm I'm so um, so thankful that they have invested in our business and not gone out and bought another investment property. And I th- it's so important in in this ecosystem that hopefully I get these guys a really great return. And and more and more of these stories, like the Venn story, that highlight to investors and people with money and assets and the ability to make a difference that they actually do back founders and up-and-coming small businesses that, you know, are ambitious and have a great team, have a great plan that can deliver a, a way better return than just another investment property. Um, but yeah, we, we, we're getting there. Hopefully it's a really good outcome and just helps us grow because that's our only constraint, to be honest. We've got so much growth dialed in, in Australia in particular and in New Zealand. It's just having the cap- capital to support it. Yeah, and I don't think like capital here is very experienced in brands and consumer products. 
like it takes a lot to create an inventory business and do the marketing and the work to kind of establish a brand. And you don't get the hockey stick, you know, financial returns back, even if you're getting the hockey stick purchase and stocking returns. Like if it's all going to plan, you actually have bigger cash flow problems and bigger difficulties. And because people don't understand that like brands, unlike you know, software companies or something, they build relationships with thousands and thousands of people who then keep buying them for years and years and years. They become more valuable in the long term rather than, you know, just in the short term. So it's like, it's a tricky spot to be in. But like, that's the beauty of crowdfunding, right? Like people who believe in what you do and know the product and understand the role it plays in people's lives, they can back you. And that's worked so well for like Batik and Parrot Dog and and Vivo and other kind of great companies with a big customer base. Well, yeah, what's it like having the, the customers as like advocates and like owners? I mean, it's great, right? Like you've got ambassadors, you know, telling their friends, taking a little six pack to to a barbecue or to a party and pushing it. I think that's been really good for Parrot Dog, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a great model. It would just, I think, you know, there's there's a there's a missing tier above that. I think there's a there's a strong crowdfunding environment and. In New Zealand, Snowball Effect has been, has been great for that, uh, but there's that that next level up, that and you know, and the next level above that, that is that is missing. I've, um, I'm involved in a a great little organisation community called Future Food Aotearoa, that are you know building connections to other markets, and we are looking at especially at the US and. It's just a world away, the, the kind of startup and capital ecosystem in, in, in that market and, and a bunch of other markets. New Zealand needs to really get on board with what's happening in the rest of the world. Yeah, and like successes like yours and people like Compostic and people like Lisa King at AF Drinks, like those people actually succeeding and getting on the shelves of the big US retailers they help to kind of pave the way for people believing that's possible. But I think if people just have a New Zealand-Australia mindset, it is hard to look at them and go, where does the return come? Totally. I mean, for us, like, we, we're we so focused on Australia and New Zealand because we actually think there's a great business just in these two markets. But it's more just a focus. Um, you know, we looked at the US and it's big and it's it's you need a decent chunk of investment and... It's a it's a long term play. It's a it's a big call, you know. Whereas we're just focused on the next two years, what we have to execute, and and what happens beyond that will we'll get pretty exciting. I think you know, international markets. But Lisa King and AF Drinks, that's that's such a great story. They've done so well. It's it's awesome to see, and the likes of Flix and Fog, and you know, there's some there are a few great stories. It's also you know it's a big it's a big call, and you know we just need to get our our shit together in Australia and New Zealand first and then tackle some big ones. Yeah, where, where do you see it going? What's the vision for where Almighty could be? And I mean, that caffeinated border is such a great and unique product on the shelves as well. And it's delicious. And it like it gives you such a buzz. <laughs> I'm normally a long black drinker and I find that one of those just like sends me to space. Yeah, it's a, I, yeah I think it's a great product and People love it, eh? That that are that are into it. It's yeah. It's actually been a really challenging thing to to launch into a new category and be first. Uh, we it's sort of, we probably underestimated that the education required, even though it's really straightforward. It's just sparkling water, natural flavour, and 
80 milligrams of natural caffeine. It, it has been challenging to get that education piece right. But, you know, if we do get it right, it sort of really can take on that energy drink market, which is an absolute, you know, beast of a category. And and so much of it is just so bad for you. Oh. Like you look at the the ingredients in any energy drink and it's it's torture. Like it's it's just stuff that your body is is not built to to deal with in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I mean, most of the words are, I don't have got no idea what all those words mean or what they are, what those things that just they can't be that good for you. Uh. Yeah, not not at all. Like what 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 advice would you have for someone wanting to build a brand with such a design-led edge? I think getting great industry experience in the mix. People that have done it before is has made a difference to our business. I think the like there are there for, in New Zealand there are some great agencies though, and great design agencies and and not just that make beautiful things but have really great depth of knowledge of you know the why and behind brands like I've never worked with previously unavailable or but you guys seem like you're doing amazing things and there are a bunch like marks who we work with. There's just so much thinking in behind what is going on. It's yeah, not great. just creating nice-looking packaging or anything. There's a real depth of thought that that goes into it, and that is, you know, respected globally. We're, we're, we're so lucky to have um, such good agencies here, and I'd I'd recommend talking to people not just in design but with industry experience. So when we brought people into our business with really specific, strong industry experience, it was a game changer for us. And as a final thought, because you've got an investor call to get to, what will success be for you and for Almighty? For Almighty, you know, we're really we're really focusing on, you know, hoping to to build an iconic brand in New Zealand and Australia that, that people just love and creating a great business. Like it, it's... It's been really challenging, especially in the last few years, to to create that great business side. And there's a you know there's a lot of learning that's going on to to overcome you know a bunch of you know escalating costs and how to how to deliver to all the you know the unsexy parts of a business that that create you know profitability um, and nailing those things. So we want to yeah create a great brand and a great business. But as I mentioned, I've got these, you know, really great shareholders that have come on that have taken a punt on on some scrappy person and people. And I'd love to give them a return. You know, they've really backed they've really backed us. And, you know, hopefully the people that are coming on board now with this capital raise, I'd love to to just deliver a great result. And so you know, success hopefully are, are those things. A, a great brand and a some kind of great result along the way. And then for me personally, it's I've got a young family, and it's really about I suppose creating and getting to the point where there are these freedoms to, to to do, you know, um, to hang out with them more, and I suppose live the life that you know I'd, I'd love to to see them, you know, um, to live in New Zealand and and enjoy all those great parts of New Zealand that we seem to sort of miss a bit when you end up working too much and. Trying to get that work-life balance right, and that's what success will be for me. 
Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing the story today. Uh, best of luck for the capital raise that's live on Snowball Effect at the moment if people are believers in what Almighty is doing. And um, yeah, lovely to chat and can't wait to see where you take it next. That's Ben Leonard, the CEO at Almighty Drinks. Thanks so much, Simon. It's been really good. So thank you to Ben, to you for listening, and for everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Te Butler. Do follow Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. Enohora. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.